Well, I hope you've made your way in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. If you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just back up a little bit. It's the end of the Old Testament. It's the last book. It's written by the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel after the exile when they were back in Jerusalem. Now, as you're turning there, I want to just forecast this morning that the message is about priests. So this, uh, this whole section, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, is about priests. And uh, my wife earlier this week said, so you're going to preach to yourself. No, honey, I'm not a priest. Uh, no, we're not going to relegate this simply to pastors, prophets, or priests. We're going to think about our own role. And I want you to think about it right up front. This comes from First Timothy or First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter two. Listen to First Peter chapter two. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter writes that we are a holy priesthood. We're meant to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. He goes on in that chapter and says it again. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So like priests of old who declared the truth about God, he says, you are a royal priesthood and you are meant to declare the glories of God in this world. So I wanted to just right up front let you know this passage isn't just for a few people sitting in this room this morning. It's for us. We're in Malachi chapter 2. I'd like to read with you verses one through nine. When I finish verse nine, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. 
You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and look into it. Father, we give thanks for your word. We ask that we would be people who don't just hear it, but we would be people who actually listen, who heed it. Not mere hearers of the word, but doers also. So this morning, help us to receive your word with meekness. It is the engrafted word, that which is able to save our souls. And so use your living word. Help us to be people who faithfully obey it and faithfully share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Erasmus of Rotterdam lived from 1466 through 1536. He was a Dutch Catholic priest and perhaps one of the greatest figures in the Renaissance humanist movement. He became the most famous writer of his day. If there was a New York Times number one bestseller back in Erasmus's day, he would have written the book. His best-selling piece was in 1515. It was entitled, The Praise of Folly. I, I brought a copy this morning if you want to fold through it later. The Praise of Folly, 1515. In this book, Erasmus addressed some serious social concerns, but he did it by means of satire. In other words, he cloaked true sayings in a laugh, wit and wordplay. That's what Erasmus used to poke at the bear of religious corruption in the 16th century. This was just, I mean, think about it, 1515. This was just two years before Martin Luther would post his 95 theses and spark the Protestant Reformation. Just two years before that, this man named Erasmus was writing about the state of the Christian church and particularly its leaders. First, he critiqued the way people happily utilized financial transactions to release themselves from purgatory. In religious terms, these get-out-of-free-jail cards were called papal indulgences. These were pieces of paper issued by the church in exchange for money and services that supposedly released you from after-death purification. There was a man named Johann Tetzel who came through Wittenberg when Luther was there with this little jingle that he would sing, in German, of course, but it went like this. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings... The soul from purgatory springs. It infuriated Luther. And Erasmus wasn't a fan of it either. This is what he wrote in Praise of Folly. 
There are those who enjoy deluding themselves with imaginary pardons for their sins. Take, for example, some merchant, soldier, or judge who believes he only has to give a single tiny coin from his pile of plunder to purify once and for all the entire morass he has made of his life. All his perjury, lust, drunkenness, quarrels, killing, frauds, and treachery, he believes can somehow be paid off by agreement and paid off in such a way that he's now free to start afresh with a new round of sins. Could anything be so foolish? Or I suppose so happy? Writes Erasmus. He goes on, he talks about the vacuous nonsense that filled sermons during his day. Fables instead of the truth. This is what he writes. Go to church at sermon time where everyone is asleep or yawning or feeling queasy. Look around you, see if anyone's sleeping yet. Everyone is asleep or yawning or feeling queasy whenever some serious argument is expounded. But if the preacher starts to rant, I beg your pardon, I mean orate, on some old wives' tale, as they often do, his audience sits up and takes open-mouthed notice. And again, if there's some legendary saint somewhat celebrated in fable, you can put George or Christopher or Barbara in this category if you need an example, you'll see that he receives far more devout attention than Peter or Paul or Christ himself, writes Erasmus. Are you catching a glimpse of the sad state of the Christian religion at this time? Erasmus turns to the monks. These were the spiritual leaders, quote unquote. This is what he says, quote, those who are popularly called religious or monks, both names are false, since most of them are a long way removed from religion. They believe it's the highest form of piety to be so uneducated that they can't even read. Then when they bray like donkeys in church, repeating by rote psalms they haven't understood, they imagine they are charming the ears of the heavenly audience with infinite delight. This is the way these smooth individuals in all their filth and ignorance, their boorish and shameless behavior claim to bring back the apostles into our midst. Various types of monks take remarkable pains to be different in their rules of life. They aren't interested in being like Christ, but in being unlike each other. He goes on and on, but I think you get the picture. In the early 16th century, Christian worship was off track and spiritual leaders were corrupt. And quite frankly, it sounds like a sad repetition of the way things were in Malachi's day. Spiritual corruption, leaders off track. Last week, we saw how the priests were ignoring God's standards for sacrifices. They were allowing people, you see this in the end of chapter one, they were allowing people to bring blind and lame and diseased animals to the altar. These spiritual leaders were condoning empty worship. 
They were turning a blind eye towards unsatisfactory sacrifices. And if that wasn't bad enough, what we find this week in chapter 2 is that these same priests are abdicating their responsibility to teach the truth. Instead of instructing people in uprightness, they're causing people to stumble into sin. So the Lord has a word for these priests. And I would suggest he has a word for all of us who act in places of spiritual leadership. Notice first how God cautions spiritual leaders in love. He warns them in love. Now, at first glance, you're not going to get the warm fuzzies that remind you of love. I mean, you look at verses one through four, <laughs> you see a threefold repetition of the word curse. Like, that doesn't sound like love. Look at verse two. I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them. Yikes. Doesn't sound like love. I mean, can you imagine at Valentine's Day, the Hallmark card? You know, it's got the pink and red little heart. It's got the silhouette of these two lovers. You open it up. It says, cursed are you. I'm sending a curse upon you. I've already done it. Curse. Love your sweetie poo. You know, I mean, you're kind of like, hmm, this, this doesn't feel like love. But I want you to notice how the opening of the passage is actually framed with conditional clauses. In other words, these clauses that start with the word if. So look at the opening of the passage. If you will not listen. If you will not take it to heart, then I will send the curse. In other words, God is kindly warning them cautioning them. These spiritual leaders need to be warned. And quite frankly, the heart of God, you can see it in verse number four. Look at verse number four. I want you to know that I have sent this command to you. And here's why. Because I want my covenant with Levi to stand. Do you see that? He, he's not trying to take failed spiritual leaders crumple them up and throw them in a trash can. Instead, he's trying to look at struggling spiritual leaders and call them back to restoration. And so this morning, I look across this room, you may be a failure of a father. But God doesn't want to crumple you up and throw you in a trash can. He wants you to be restored as a spiritual leader in your home. You may be an angry mom in here this morning. You're constantly frustrated by your kids and it shows. God doesn't want to crumple you up and throw you in a trash can. He wants to restore you so that you will speak words of wisdom to your kids and be a spiritual leader in the home. Do you see this? He wants his covenant with Levi to stand. That's why I'm saying this is a caution to spiritual leaders and it's in love. These warnings may feel unpleasant, but remember, whenever God warns us, it's an act of his grace. Whenever God disciplines us, 
It's a demonstration of his love. Don't you remember Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I know these warnings feel unpleasant. I know these cautions aren't comfortable. But as the writer of Hebrews says, they yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. And so the Lord is warning these spiritual leaders and cautioning them, don't disregard my word, don't dishonor my name. Now, I want you to picture how this would have perhaps played out. Because sometimes we get just a sterile reading of scripture and we're not really visualizing how this would have likely happened. How is it, pause for a second and think, how is it that Malachi would gather all of these priests together to be able to say in verse one, and now, O priests, this command is for you. I mean, did he send out Evites? Hey, having a priestly gathering, want all of you to come, have a word for you. No, that's not how it worked. Do you know what's likely? What's likely is that he showed up to the temple when they're all working. And so I want you to imagine the temple scene with all of these priests. There's priests scurrying this way and that. Some are holding these censers by chains with incense burning in the bottom. And the sweet smoke is wafting through the temple courtyards. Some of these priests are carrying basins of blood. I mean, imagine them trying not to spill on their white garments. They're carrying these basins of blood because they're going to sprinkle some of it at the base of the altar. Some have the unwanted task. It's like these priests drew the short end of the straw. They have to haul out the hooves, the intestines, and the heads of the animals. So some priests with censers, others with basins of blood, some are like, having to haul out the leftovers outside of the temple courtyard. Some are tending tables. Other priests are helping people. Some may be directing traffic. The place is a buzz with all of these priests when suddenly a man speaks up rather loudly. You know, he's using his outside voice. He begins to cry in the center of the temple courtyard with all of these priests around. And he says in verse number two, oh priest, verse one and two, oh priests, can you hear me? Yes, I'm talking to all of you in your white garments. This command, the word means warning or rebuke. This command is for you. If you will not listen, look at the text, it's right there. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Can you imagine the silence that must have covered that place? This guy, Malachi, just publicly called out all of those priests. In public, right there, in front of everybody. He calls them out and basically says, performing your religious practice doesn't mean you're really honoring God. Now, I wonder if our hearts were known this morning, if the same could be said of some of us. 
Performing your religious practice doesn't mean you're honoring God. That's what he says about these priests. He says, you're not listening to the Lord. Do you see that word listen in verse number one? Listen. If you will not listen. He's not merely talking about hearing. He's talking about the sort of listening that moves people to action. You priests are not being moved to action by God's word. You take it in, you recite it, you've got these little repetitions, you tell your kids before they go to school this little saying from the Bible, oh, congratulations, but are you heeding God's word yourself? They weren't, they weren't listening, he says. They're not listening. This is the sort, the, the sort of listening that God wants for our lives is the sort that a mom wants with her 12-year-old boy when she tells him to do his homework, but he's watching a TV show. You know what that's like? I mean, he's like brain dead, staring at this screen. And mom comes into the room and says, turn off the TV and get on your homework. The boy just continues to stare. I said, turn off the TV and get on your homework. I heard you, mom. She goes over, picks up the remote, turns off the TV herself and says, you may have heard me, but you weren't listening. In other words, you didn't hear me to be moved to action. You may have listened to the words, but you've done nothing with it. And that's not satisfactory when it comes to the Lord. These priests weren't listening to God's word. And quite frankly, in their hearts, they weren't honoring God. It says that in verse two, they were not taking it to heart. In other words, they may have been grudgingly performing their duties. They may have completed their obligations with a sense of arm twisting. But it just wasn't their deepest ambition. It's not coming out of their heart. Can I just ask you, are your acts of worship coming from your heart? Is it duty? Or is it your deepest ambition? To listen to the word of the Lord and worship the Lord of the word. Is it your deepest ambition? I just wonder, have you ever fulfilled a spiritual responsibility, but your heart wasn't in it? There have been times when <clears throat> I've felt like I've been worn thin. You know, like, like, too little butter on too much toast. Have you ever felt like life is that way? I mean, have you ever been to that spot? I'm just worn thin. And those are the days my wife Lisa will look at me and she'll be like, are you gonna make it? On good days, I counsel myself out loud and I say, trust in the Lord and do good. You know, it's Psalm 37. Like, I'm worn thin, I'm tired. All right, trust in the Lord and do good. Those are on good days. On bad days, she says, are you gonna make it? I sigh and go back to work with a dull heart. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been a family worship time, a gospel growth lesson? a sermon, a kid's church, a couple's prayer time, a morning devotions, you've done them. 
but it's with a sigh doing your work. You don't have a heart for it. You're not, you're not taking it to heart. That was the state of these priests. And God says, if you won't take heed to my word, if you won't take it to heart to honor my name, then here's the consequence. I'm gonna take away the privileges of your capabilities. I'm gonna remove any experience of enrichment. I'm gonna halt your progress, deplete your satisfaction, cancel your blessings. All of these things that you currently enjoy will be null and void. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to bring a curse and curse your blessings. I wonder how much we've missed out on because our hearts really weren't in it. God's caution, however, to these priests doesn't end with the removal of benefits. These curses, I'm gonna curse your blessing. It doesn't end there. He actually warns them, it's not just your benefits I'm going to remove. I'm gonna remove you. Did you catch that in the text? He says in verse number three, look or behold, I will rebuke your offspring or your family line. When you see the word rebuke here, you need to think I will stop or halt. It's like when Christ rebuked the wind and the waves, the storm stopped. He says, I'm gonna rebuke your offspring and it means your lineage will stop. It will be cut off. And not only that, you're gonna be removed personally, you priests. Look at the text. Look at verse number three. It's kind of gross. There's a little emoji comes to mind. Yeah, you're thinking of the same one. I will spread dung on your faces. Some of the kids are like, mommy, what's dung? <laughs> the dung of your, off of your offerings and you shall be taken away with it. Now the imagery here, God's not doing this literally, this is imagery. The imagery though is that God would take the putrid entrails, the disgusting stomach contents, the fecal matter, the unclean innards of sacrificial animals and he would smear it on the priest's faces. Can you imagine the smell, let alone the sight of that? I was studying this, I'm just gonna tell you. I had like PTSD. I thought back to when I had to deal with a deer that got gut shot. I mean, it's bad. He says, I'm gonna take the uncleanness of your sacrifices and smear it on you. And in that way, I'm gonna show you for who you are. You're unclean. And you're gonna be hauled out of the temple with all of those unclean things. If you won't listen to me, if you won't heed my word and honor my name, that is the warning here. God cautions spiritual leaders in love. And it's because he wants his covenant with Levi to continue. He wants his priests to listen. He wants his spiritual leaders to be restored. But here in our text, 
It's as though they don't get it. You can almost imagine these priests who were interrupted in their service thinking to themselves, what's the big deal? Why is God so upset? This is a little extreme going nuclear option on us. Notice how God clarifies his expectations for these spiritual leaders next. He cautions them. It's like they don't get it. So he's going to clarify his expectations. And I just want these verses, I hope these verses right in the center of our passage, I hope they become a treasured text to you. Because they outline God's expectations for spiritual leaders. They're precious verses. These are, I mean, I don't know how to explain it other than to say, these are the like oughts, the shoulds of spiritual leaders. This wasn't just a baseless warning. It was rooted in what God expected from these priests. Now, if you were to break down what priests were supposed to do, there were three core responsibilities. This is it. Number one, offer sacrifices. Number two, pray for the people as the incense rose up to heaven. Offer sacrifices, pray. Here's the third one. Teach God's truth. That's what the priests were supposed to do. Prophets were occasional. Priests ministered the day-by-day truth of God's word. They were the everyday teachers. They were the ones who were supposed to impart true instruction to the people of God. It was one of their three core responsibilities. All the way back in Deuteronomy 33, 9 and 10, we see that priests were supposed to be the ones who observed the word and kept his covenant. The ones who were supposed to teach God's rules and Israel his law. 2 Chronicles 15.3 refers to teaching priests, it says there. And it's because instruction was one of their major responsibilities. It was like a baseline expectation. These priests were supposed to be like Ezra before them. Do you remember Ezra, the scribe priest? Who, it says, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In other words, priests were supposed to learn, practice, and teach. And I would just say, what a great model for any spiritual leader in this room. Learn God's word. Practice it. In other words, obey it yourself. Then impart it to others. Then teach. That sequence is very important. Don't don't omit any. Don't take any out of order. Learn it yourself. Obey it yourself. Teach it to others. That's what these priests were supposed to do. God had made a covenant with Levi It was one that if they kept it, they would have life and peace. And God's like, I kept up my part of the bargain. Look at verse number five. My covenant with Levi, with him, verse five, was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It says, he stood in awe of my name, verse five. I I just think, here's this arrangement that God had with Levi And there were benefits, life and peace. But there were also responsibilities. Know your place. 
Levi was supposed to understand that they were a mere tribe of priests, but he was the true and living God. They were supposed to stand in awe of him. Now, sometimes we hit this word awe, like we have in verse number five. Do you see it there? He stood in awe of my name. And when we think awe of something, we're thinking of this beautiful sunset. I mean, the sky painted with these various colors. Wow, what a beautiful thing. I mean, quick, take your camera. You've got an iPhone 14 or whatever it is. <laughs> Catch a picture. Oh, post it on Instagram. Oh, hashtag no filter. Oh, I mean, we think stand in awe of these clouds that are these different colors. But this stand in awe is a little different. It would be like standing in awe of a different sort of cloud like maybe a mushroom cloud of an atomic bomb. You stand in awe of that a little bit differently. You stand speechless before that. Shaken up. Taken aback. I mean, this is an incredible display of power, and it's shocking that's what the text is communicating here. Levi stood shattered, dismayed, overwhelmed, undone before the greatness of God. They stood in awe of his name. I mean, I just think of like Isaiah. Do you remember he has this vision of heaven? There are these seraphim. They're going around saying, holy, holy, holy. And what does Isaiah do? Do you remember? What does he do? He falls down. He says, woe is me, I am undone. That's how these Levites were intended to be. They were supposed to be in the presence of the power and the might of God, and they were supposed to stand in awe, knowing their place. But how is it that these priests were responding? Well, go back to chapter one, Verse six, they weren't standing in awe of his name. It says in chapter one, verse six, they were despising his name. And if you remember from last week, the word despise means to hold lightly, to treat as nothing, as worthless. Instead of being amazed, shattered, overwhelmed, and undone in the presence of God, they treated it as if it was nothing. The leaders who were supposed to uphold the glory and the holiness of God before the people were treating God's name as though it were nothing. They were disregarding it utterly. Friends, do you remember in the pages of the Old Testament what happened to people who disregarded, and specifically leaders, who disregarded the name of God? Who refused to model what it looks like to uphold his glory? Do you remember what happened to people like Moses? When he failed to do that, he gets angry. He's tired of these complaining people. He's supposed to speak to the rock, but he's so frustrated, he strikes the rock two times with his staff, and the Lord responds this way in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Do you see what happened to that spiritual leader who did not uphold the name of the Lord? He was judged because of it. 
Do you remember, let's fast forward a little bit. Do you remember Eli's sons? This is in 1 Samuel chapter 2. They failed to model a proper respect for the Lord. They were committing immorality right outside the tabernacle. They were sleeping with women who were trying to come and offer sacrifices. They were stealing meat from people who wanted to give to the Lord. This is what the Lord says, 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, or in other words, treat me as nothing, will be lightly esteemed. They themselves will be treated as nothing. And you just turn the next chapter, both of those two sons are killed. One last example. Do you remember Aaron's two sons? Aaron the high priest? Two sons named Nadab and Abihu. They failed to model respect for God. They're burning incense in a way that God did not authorize. And in Leviticus chapter 10, it says this. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died. And this is what the Lord said about it. I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. In other words, if you're a spiritual leader, you have a responsibility to model what it looks like to treat God as holy before those who are watching on. Spiritual leaders are expected to model proper fear of the Lord and a right reverence for him. That's what, that's what Malachi is talking about here in this text. Not only were the priests supposed to model what it means to uphold the holiness and glory of God, but they were supposed to speak about it. It says in verse number five, notice verse number five, they stand in awe of his name and then verse six, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. In other words, the teaching of these priests was supposed to be reliable, dependable, truthful. There weren't supposed to be any twisting or lying. Proper priests didn't make the word less strenuous to appease wayward people. They didn't ignore parts that were culturally unpopular. Faithful priests didn't apply God's word differently to different sorts of people. That's actually what you see in verse number nine. Do you see that? These priests did not keep my ways. They showed partiality in instruction. True priests don't do that. They walk with God. They pursue uprightness. They turn people away from their sins. Look again at this text and just let, instead of me trying to explain it, just let the words of this text sink in. Verse six, spiritual leaders, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Spiritual leaders are supposed to live and teach the truth. And such a life will have good effect on those who follow him. I was recently reading about George Whitfield. I didn't know this about his life. Uh, he actually, at age 23, was a military chaplain. He was, if, if you don't know who George Whitfield was, he was a famous 18th century evangelist. Great awakenings, think George Whitfield, right? So he, at age 23, was a, a British Navy chaplain. 
He was on board the Whitaker, was the ship that he was stationed on. And it was sailing with two other vessels across the Atlantic to the American colony of Georgia. The voyage started and Whitfield began to hold public scripture readings and prayer times. But the moral tone of the ship was low. And any of his attempts were met with derision and scorn. The first Sunday, as a matter of fact, he tried to hold a Sunday service on board this ship. No one showed up. Whitfield was surrounded. He says this in his diary. He was surrounded by cursing, gambling, and someone playing an oboe. (laughs) But Whitfield didn't stop. He visited the sick. He shared his food with those in need. He held prayer times on the open deck morning and evening. He tried to share Christ wherever he could. This is what he wrote in his diary. Quote, had some religious talk with the surgeon who seems very well disposed. Gained an opportunity by walking at night on the deck to talk closely to the chief mate and one of the sergeants and hope my words were not spoken in vain. Another entry. About 11 at night, I went and sat down with the sailors in the steerage and reasoned with them about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Well, as time passed, people were impacted by Whitfield's message. I mean, just think about it. Here's a guy on the ship who's walking in peace and uprightness. True instruction is on his mouth. And what eventually happens is he turns many away from iniquity. One of the captains finally comes to his service and stands right next to him while he preaches to give his affirmation. Another eventually ordered a drumbeat so that all of the soldiers had to show up on deck for daily prayer. When weather allowed, eventually all three ships drew together so that people could hear him preach and worship God together. And just think, here's George Whitfield. He just preached the truth and his faithful instruction had good effect. That's what the priests of Israel were supposed to do. That's what these spiritual leaders were supposed to uphold. God cautioned spiritual leaders in love. He clarified his expectations and the text closes this way. These people wouldn't listen. So God condemns spiritual leaders who refuse to submit, those who defect from the truth. What we discover in this text is that the priests in Israel at this time disregarded God's word. They dishonored his name. They ditched the truth. They were distracting other people and they refused to turn. So Malachi stands up. You want to turn from God? You want to cause others to do the same? You want to steal yourself in rebellion against the Lord and trip people up in their faith journey? Then you will be condemned. Look at verse number eight. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people. You priests... You deliberately defect from the truth. You turn aside from the way of the Lord. You cause others to stumble. You despise my name. So you will be despised before all of the people. 
I'm going to bring you down and make you low. I'm going to show everyone how corrupt and unfaithful you really are. And with that, our passage ends. And it kind of leaves us with this dissonant tone. We're left in a minor key. We're left with corrupt spiritual leaders who don't fear the Lord. They don't teach his word. They refuse to obey the truth and they cause other people to stumble. We're left with condemned priests. It causes our hearts to long. If, if only there was a pure and righteous priest Someone who would actually bring people to God and bring God to people. Many years later, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 26, puts it this way It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. My friends, the priests of old and even spiritual leaders of our day may falter and fail, but we have a high priest who is holy innocent, unstained, and separate from sinners. We have a high priest named Jesus who offered himself as the once for all sacrifice and he stands now as our perfect spiritual leader. So look to Christ this morning and follow his lead. Let's pray together. I wonder if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes and take these next few moments to reflect on the word of the Lord. All of us in here know that good leaders bring great blessings and bad leaders bring ruin. My question for you is what kind of spiritual leader are you? Are you teaching God's word? Are you living in peace and uprightness? Are you turning people to the Lord? Or are you a detractor, a distractor from God's work? Are you causing your spouse, children, roommates, friends to stumble because of your poor leadership? Or do people end up closer to God and more obedient to him when they're around you? My friend, if something needs to change today, then take this time to reflect on the word of the Lord and respond in obedient faith. Hear God's word. He cautions us. Consider his clear expectations and avoid condemnation by being the spiritual leader you're supposed to be. Lord, that's what we long for. We long to follow our high and holy priest named Jesus. He is the perfect spiritual leader and we want to follow his lead so I pray for the, the people gathered today, all of us in this room, whatever spheres of leadership we have, we pray that they would be 
submitted to you that we would model your holiness and glory that we would offer true instruction and turn people from sin oh that others would glorify your name as well that is our heart we pray in Jesus name amen and amen